you're looking for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Recording, hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. recording podcast episode 102 what's going on neil what's up dude another night man we've got another great guest we've oh, got yeah. andrew reinhardt with us welcome andrew howdy glad you could be with us yeah this neil, one's gonna be awesome <laughs> yeah neil and i are gonna have some uh long branch while we're talking to you dude i put a lot in there didn't i yeah that's okay you yeah, just well, have to sip slowly it's good for you cheers neil Cheers. Cheers, Andrew. Yeah, it's good. I like your I like that attitude. It's good for me. Yeah, absolutely. So guest, we are uh we're remote again tonight. We got Andrew up on the screen and Neil and I are in here by ourselves enjoying some long branch and chatting with Andrew. So Yeah, we're we're in uh isolation circles at this point, uh, Brad and I. So, you know, even if we both had it, we'd still be yeah. here. We're in the same yeah. pod. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew, won't you start us off? Uh we always start with a similar question or the same question. Why don't you take us back to childhood and share your earliest memories of music and then where did you realize that music was going to be a huge part of your life? Right. Okay. Um, I think like my earliest musical memory is probably my grandmother teaching me how to play piano. My grandmother on my dad's side was sort of an avid music lover, and she had a really nice grand piano in her house. So... Um, yeah, so I was probably, I mean, I was tiny. I was probably like eight or nine or something. And she started kind of like showing me uh, different little licks. And it was mostly like classical music stuff. That was kind of her bag. But I think that just kind of unlocked something in my brain, you know? Just kind of this, it was like the first experience with, um, you know, what sound can do to your brain and, and what expression is and you know when you're a kid you don't really understand anything right so it's very like magical that somebody can just kind of sit down and play something on a big piece of wood mm -hmm. and make you you know respond and so i yeah i think that was kind of like the first the very first you know tip of the iceberg so then i started to kind of write little little pieces and things that were very you know like simplistic or whatever and then I didn't really keep up with it that much. And then probably I'm, I'm like 
I was born in 81, so I'm a little bit older than, you know, some folks that are listening probably. Um, I'm, I just turned 40. So when I was young... Welcome to the club. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so yeah, I, I mean, if you came from that same generation, for me, Nirvana really was was kind of the first band that like really exploded my interest in like being in a band. Mm. And, you know, just kind of their overall media blowing up and the early music videos on MTV and stuff like that. So, and then there was another MTV music program called 120 Minutes. Did you guys ever see that? Yes. Okay. And it was sort of the like alternative or like punk rock Mm -hmm. late night version of regular MTV. So it was like, you know, and that's when I first heard bands like Sonic Youth Mm. And like Pavement and the Pixies and some of the other now kind of legendary, but still, you know, underground and not super well-known bands. So I think that combination of Nirvana, Nevermind, their music videos, their sort of sense of humor and sort of irreverent sense of kind of personality. And then 120 Minutes showing up and seeing like, legitimately underground artists that were just kind of existing in their own aesthetic. That was, that was pretty much like the one, two punch. Yeah, man, that's i uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a few years, a couple years older than you. And okay. that was, there was something, I, I think that time when Nirvana came out, cause I'm saying I started playing music around that time. And, and mm-hmm. when, uh, one Nirvana was accessible, we've talked about this, you know, the bar chords and how simple, it right. was to be able to make that sound, but you know, not right. entirely like you know those guys did it. But you you got sure. the you got to kind of uh, follow in the in the footprints and, and learn those simple bar chords and things like that. But the right. how different they were, you know. I, I loved Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and, and but even mm-hmm. Nirvana was so different than everything else. It just had yeah. its own thing. So if you were interested in music and it was at the right age, they hit you. Yeah. They really hit you. Interesting. That's like the last few podcasts Nirvana has been brought out. And, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, also just the kind of coincidence of the way the media delivered them to like literally everyone on earth. Mm -hmm. Beatles style was different too. You know, like it's very weird to think now when you watch like awards shows with like Cardi B, et cetera, like, it's hard to imagine that Nirvana was like the top billed act at the MTV Music Awards. You know, like yeah. no one was bigger or cooler or more popular, or more well, well known, which seems incom- inconceivable now that like a rock band, you know, like hip hop has dominated music to such an extent at this point that, yeah. you know, it's like there aren't even that many rock bands that really have a big market share these days. No, you know, yeah, that's true. So, yeah. It was, a, it was a particular time, you know, a particular sort of weird confluence of events. And yeah, like if you're around the same age as me, like we were just right in the middle of it, the swirl of it. I feel very lucky actually because like it was, you know, and maybe you'll relate. It was very good to grow up at that time as a teenager because it was cool to be sort of weird and alternative, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you could... Right? You- yeah, you didn't have to conform to uh, what most people considered normal. 
you know, yeah, what your like, parents consider normal, definitely. <laughs> well, and even in, in the sense of like, it wasn't, it was almost cooler to be into Nirvana than it was to be like a really good athlete at that time or something, at least like in my school. My school as well. <laughs> you know, so like, yeah. that's also weird and like rare. And so, yeah, it was interesting. Hmm. You said you started playing the piano around around eight or nine. And, and then you mentioned that you started writing simple stuff. You wrote that down after, too? After that, like what, what, are, what are you talking about there? Like what age and what were you writing when you started at such a young age writing? Um, I think it was like, she showed me Moonlight Sonata, right? Okay. Kind of classic, pretty easy, like the equivalent of Nirvana power chords for like classical music. It's not complicated. Um, so I was writing little things like that, like just, you know, playing with both hands, just two notes, one note on each hand, like little, little, just little pieces, but they were, they were short mm-hmm. and they were just things that were like, mem- they kind of sound like film, film scorey type stuff. Yeah, I was going to, I was thinking if it was one hand where you write melodies. <laughs> I mean, kind, kind of, but it's like, it was sort of like both were the melody. I mean, they were, I don't know, they were kind of like just simple things. Mm-hmm. And then, but then when, when all this other stuff happened, cause I kind of, I didn't keep up with piano, you know, like most people, I was not attracted to the idea of taking piano lessons from some old person who was going to make me like try to sight read or whatever. Oh yeah. So, it, right. It wasn't until like all the, the grunge stuff happened. And then I just got a guitar. I think I was like 11 for my, for Christmas or something. And then from then on, it was just guitar music. Just learn and just learning everything, everything from like a lot of Metallica Black Black album to like Led Zeppelin to like early like big Jimi Hendrix songs. Just kind of like all the staple, obvious, you know, uh, like guitar music. And then eventually, like eventually, following that sort of initial start with with Nirvana, then I got into a bunch of local music from here in Louisville, and that was, I think, the other thing that really changed me a lot is realizing that we have a, like a scene, you know, in our town mm-hmm. that's actually like very hip and like cool and sort of like interesting. And so then, so I, I would say by the time I was like 14 or 15, I was like a hundred percent in to listening to local Louisville music, all the big obvious ones like Slint mm-hmm. and, you know, Sunspring and Endpoint, and Crane was a big one, Rodan. So like all of the sort of legendary Louisville local bands, which were like fairly active. And so like some of my first shows were seeing some of those bands. And that, that I think is what made the biggest impression on me was like the fact that it was not mainstream at all. And it was like in our backyard. And there were like these larger than life personalities that were you know, like the equivalent of a Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. you know, but for people here in Louisville, it was like Scott Richer and John Cook from Crane and Jason Noble from Rodan and then eventually the Shippy News and Rachel's. So that's that's really kind of what stamped, you know, a brand on me. And then eventually I, I sort of segued into like more of like the hardcore community here because that was like I don't know for whatever reason, but like, I think I'm a little bit too young to have been around for like 
when those bands like Slint and Evergreen and Rodan, I like I just miss them. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see any of those bands since you're a little older than me? No, I did not, but I knew who all of them were. Okay. So like, yeah, we're kind of on the cusp, you know, mm-hmm. of that generational shift. So by the time that I came around, the people that I really looked up to were, um, Scott Richard was a big kind of hero of mine as a teenager. Embar- you know, kind of embarrassing to say, but true. And then <laughs> Duncan Barlow had, was another kind of hero of mine. And he had sort of, um, you know, Endpoint was, I, I'm pretty sure, done. I think they were kind of on the tail end or in the middle of doing guilt. And then when I was probably like 17, 16, 17, they started that band By the Grace of God. And those shows and that scene at Sparks was where I first, you know, met people in the scene, you know, when I was old enough to go to shows. Yeah. I'm not familiar with these bands. Are these are these punk bands? Yeah, yeah most. they're punk bands. I guess I would say they were hardcore bands, for lack of a better word. Okay. Um, Duncan and uh, Rob Pennington were in a pretty, I don't know what the word for it is, like seminal Louisville kind of hardcore band called Endpoint. Mm-hmm. And they, they were kind of mixed up with like straight edge stuff like the early straight, like the legitimately early straight edge movement with like Ian McKay from Minor Threat and then going on to do, you know, Fugazi and and other bands. So, you know, I'm not a historian. I might not be getting all this right, but like, you know, Duncan lived here. I would see him at shows. You know, we became somewhat friendly. Uh, I became, you know, friendly with this guy, Tommy Brown, who's a drummer here in town, who's just a great guy. And was playing with By the Grace of God at that time. And, you know, he sort of introduced me to people in the scene. And then I was just going to basically Sparks, which this is kind of interesting too, because Sparks was this epicenter of hardcore in Louisville, I guess like in the late 90s, I would say, and maybe even into the early 2000s. But it was, I mean, it's basically a gay club at night, you know, for several nights a week. But then they were also really awesome and hospitable to like this hardcore community. And so there were like crazy shows. I mean, Mm -hmm. the shows were nuts. Like the whole place was packed. You know, the energy was amazing. I mean, I've never, I've rarely seen that good of like seeing energy anywhere. You know, it was, it was great. And that's probably when you talked about, you know, really shifting your dynamic as a, as a musician that's probably what what did it more than anything is the energy in that room yeah you know, exactly that's something that as a kid you know you can't you can't get that any other way especially if you're yeah. you know if your passion is music and you go to a show that just it has that level of yeah. of energy in the room it does change you it changes everything about your thought process and your your want to be better and it challenges you and does those things. So I could imagine, you know, being a kid, 17, 18 years old, going to the shows like that and just being like, your mind's blown. And then, you know, knowing the guys mostly as well. You know these players at this point. Well, plus, there was a huge scene. I mean, I wasn't part of that scene, but, you know, I know that there was a huge underground scene in, in Louisville that was pretty well known and pretty well respected for what was going on in there. Yeah. So, not that I'm a advocate or any or a lover or hater. I actually uh, 
love the access of Spotify, but at the end, you know how they have the roundups every year at the end of the year if you listen to enough right. you know, music. And, and my top three jo- uh, genres were like, uh, I don't remember, Bluegrass was one. There was another one. I think it was uh, my wife had, uh, and I share Spotify. It was probably like Pop. Bieber. Something like that. And then, uh, but the third one was Louisville Indie. I didn't even know there was a category on oh, Spotify wow. called Louisville Indie, but there actually is. And it, and it, you know, we've, I think we've discussed it. There really is this Louisville sound. It, it, it's not, yeah. it's not produced. It's not fake. I don't even know what it is because it, it's so wide. And, and, yeah. And, but yeah. I don't, there's a feel, there's something, but Louisville Indie, uh, is its own thing. And I think that's yeah. really hard to put a finger on what it is because, yeah. it, you know. would be interesting to get Andrew's perspective on that because that's, I mean, you've had, uh, you've had a hell of a career. You know, several, <laughs> you've gone by several monikers. You've, you can see evolutions and transformations in your music. You've lived in cities way bigger than Louisville. So it'd be interesting to kind of to kind of dig into that a little bit. But let's go ahead and uh, let our listeners hear some of your music. And let's, uh, okay, cool. we'll play Zoe. Tell us about Zoe. Um, this was one that I wrote right at, like right kind of when COVID hit or shortly thereafter. Um, I was in Los Angeles when COVID hit and obviously everything shut down really fast and really hard there, you know way before kind of anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of, wasn't sure what to do and eventually decided to just kind of dip from LA. And so there's a city, um, North of LA, kind of between LA and San Francisco called San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like a very dreamy kind of, um, idyllic town. You know, it's just, it's very small. It's anyone who goes there remembers it, you know, it's just kind of a, beloved, like small, like central coastal city in California. So I kind of moved there to hide out because there was like, there was like three cases in the entire city there, you know? Uh, whereas in LA there were, you know, tens of thousands already. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of in this really like weird, like paradise sort of place. And, but I didn't know anyone. So I was like completely isolated and all I would really do, I was getting California unemployment, which was quite good. So I didn't really have to do anything, thank God. But um, so all I was doing was like going on these epic hikes around San Luis Obispo because they have the amazing hiking there. And uh, I think I was like in a good headspace just because I was kind of avoiding like apocalypse. And I didn't have any idea that it would go on this long, you know. So no I figured, kidding. right, I just figured I'd be up there for a couple months. It'd be kind of nice, like a little vacation. So I, I don't know, just kind of this, this song and this melody came to me one day and I write, I write frankly, a lot of kind of dark and sort of borderline depressing music. So this one was kind of uncharacteristically positive. And it was the first song that I sent to the the label that I work with here in town called Sonoblast, which is a great kind of local Louisville label that helps out a lot of folks. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of sent that to them like, Hey, you know, what if I did like, a a new EP or something. And, and they were like, yeah, why don't you come back to Louisville and we'll, you know, we'll give you some, some help to do it. So that was kind of like the first song that kicked off working on that EP. Have fun, idiot. Awesome. Zoe.
It's 6am I'm stumbling home We made amends I lost my phone At some stupid bar In some stranger's car We chased up the sun Some actor rich kid's house I've seen so many people burning so brightly in love Only to find out just like us that even still it's not enough You say you'll never fall in love unless you know that it's a They recorded that here in Louisville. Yeah, yeah. So I can't. I basically like wrote the songs in in California and then drove, you know, however many freaking miles back, <laughs> four thousand miles or whatever. Just put all my stuff into my my car and drove all the way back to Louisville, and then started work on the record here. Uh. And it's all it's a it's a bunch of Louisville folks, you know. Like we we tracked it at La La Land. Uh, that oh, yeah. recording studio here with um, our friend Anne, who's great. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. engineer there. You, I'm sure you've heard her name a lot. Oh, and, she's been uh, on the podcast, man. She's awesome. Oh great. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, we love Anne. Um, and then uh, my friend um, Nick Roder, who's kind of like my primary collaborator on that EP, and hopefully on this new EP that I'm working on. We're about to actually record next weekend, this coming Ooh. weekend. So, um, yeah, so Nick is, is amazing and, and we did a bunch of, bunch of stuff together and, you know, we made a lot of creative, the creative decisions together and did a lot of like trying different things and overdubbing synthesizers and different guitar parts and all that kind of stuff. So I love working with Nick. He's amazing. Yeah. So definitely shout out to him. And then all the guys that I play with in my band are from here, you know, and they all do a variety of things. They're all, you know, busy guys. Obviously, you know, we're not 21, so everyone's kind of doing mm-hmm. doing their own thing. Um, but yeah, my friend Matt Phillip plays bass, and he owns Toasties and New Wave Burritos, if you've ever... Oh. He's one of the owners of those uh, establishments. And uh, my good New friend, Wave. Drew... New Wave's awesome. I've had, right? I haven't had Toasties, but New Wave's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Shout out, New Wave. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, my good friend Drew English plays guitar on all the recordings, and we've we've had different drummers. But um, another one of my good friends Scott Carney, who did the band Wax Fan, uh-huh. oh yeah, a, a big band here in Louisville. Uh, he played drums with us a little bit, 
And then um, our other friend, Van Campbell, has played drums with us quite a bit as well. Oh, and now awesome. we're playing with a new guy. His name is Jason Bemis, who's awesome. So he's kind of our latest drummer. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's yeah, it's all Louisville, Louisville people. I love that recording. I mean, it's it's awesome. Everything sits and fits where it needs to. The mix is great. But dude, I love the melody line on that song. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well done. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your uh, your career path. So, you know, going back to when you were uh, coming up and, and learning guitar and you were going to see local bands in, in Louisville, did you start your performing career here in Louisville? Yeah. So I, I had a band. Um, I started a band when I was very young. So it's probably like maybe 13 or 14. Oh, wow. Our first band was called Vanquish. And then after that, we we kind of met some friends who were in another band called um, Screen. And, you know, there weren't a ton of bands like our age playing. So, you know, obviously it was like, you know, we were acknowledging each other like, oh, okay, you're, you know, we're both doing this thing. And uh, so we would play shows together and we all became friends and we all started skateboarding together. So like skateboarding was my life from like 14 to like 18. (laughs) And that was true of pretty much all of us. So like basically our band and screen, we both felt that like we could like, you know, join forces. So we kind of like merged and then we became this band called flight 19. And, um, it was a, it was a hardcore band. I would say I would put it like, that's probably what you would call it. And that's kind of that band was how we kind of entered the scene in Louisville and, and met and then, you know, started playing shows at Sparks. So it was a pretty exciting time. Oh, you know? sweet. Was, I bet you were like, yeah, you know, full uh, oh, yeah. circle when you started playing Sparks, huh? Oh, man, it was it was it was a dream. You know, it was crazy. It was crazy. So, I've, I mean, I've had several experiences like that where I, you know, moved somewhere well, of course, this was Louisville, but I've had the experience in other cities too. And there's really nothing more thrilling, you know, than like kind of meeting like-minded artist types and sort of helping build the community. And that's, I'm trying to do that now a little bit in Louisville. Obviously it's hard because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at that time I was going to every show at Sparks and eventually we got to play some pretty great shows. You know, we got to play, we got to be friends with Duncan and he was generous and let us play a couple shows with By the Grace of God, which was like starry-eyed for all of us. And, um, you know, we got to play without a drive-in early in their career, which was insane. They were not that well-known at that point. And they, I think they opened for us, which is really what? funny. <laughs> yeah, really absurd to think about now that they just... <laughs> no, no one knew them in town. And then I would, and Duncan was a big, Duncan and other people, I don't want to give Duncan all the credit because I don't know, I'm sure other folks were a part of it, but I'm, I'm pretty sh- certain that the By the Race of God guys really helped at the drive-in, you know, kind of start taking off. And then of course they just exploded. Mm-hmm. And then I think like within a year or so, they were signed to the BC Boys label Grand Royal and they were like opening for Rage Against the Machine at like the top of Rage Against yeah. the Machine's career. So <laughs> that's insane. But yeah, so I mean we we had some 
some mingling, you know, it's like, we never were the ones that went crazy, but we played shows with some, some great bands here. And we were supposed to play with Refused at some point, which was like my favorite band at that time. I don't know if you, do you know that band at all? I've not heard. They're a hardcore band, but they're, they're from Sweden and they, they kind of made this real interesting and sort of like groundbreaking move towards less of a straightforward hardcore album and more of just kind of like a indie rock kind of opus. And, you know, they're, they're real politically motivated. And it was just, they like when that record came out from Refused, it changed hardcore forever. And that record is like legendary. So we were supposed to open for them on their tour and we were all like, couldn't believe it. And then they yeah. broke up, of course. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, there were some some wild things that happened in, in Louisville before I was 20. I mean, I, before I even went to college, I was like very, very lucky. Yeah, that's insane. So where did you go to college? Um, I went to G... I actually went to George Washington University in D.C. Oh, wow. Specifically because at that time, I was totally obsessed with Fugazi. And I was <laughs> like obsessed with like the D.C kind of politis- semi-politicized hardcore scene there. And so I was like, I want to I go be a part of that. And, but sadly, when I got to DC, you know, Fugazi was kind of on its way down. And this is, yeah, this, I mean, I, I've not done a lot of podcasts. So this is kind of fun and interesting to go through this, you know, circuitous route. Perfect. So like when I went to DC, I don't know if you know who these people are, but like there was a band called The Makeup that mm-hmm. was all, all the rage in DC. And the makeup is is kind of famously led by this guy, Ian Svavonius, who now plays under the name Chain in the Gang and Escapism. And he's, I think he has even like a new moniker now. But he, he's a big figure, like in, in um, sort of indie underground world. He's written a couple of books that are like super funny about like rock and roll history. And um he had sort of a talk show for a while that was like on Vice or something. He's just kind of a, he's a big personality. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I would run into him a little bit in LA You know, I have some friends who know him and I don't know him that well, but, um, uh, but anyway, so when I moved to DC, this was in 2000, the makeup was all the rage in DC and it was a more of an arty punk band, uh, Ian Savonius was the lead singer of Nation of Ulysses, which is another seminal early kind of um, indie rock band or a punk band with a more of like an arty, like art punk or something. So when I got to DC, Fugazi was not as popular. That It wasn't really about that anymore. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I just, it annoyed me. I've since, you know, I can appreciate like what, what Ian Savonius and those guys were doing. But at the time, I just really wanted to be involved with more of like the Fugazi type punk rock scene. So then I just switched colleges because I was dating a girl here and I went to college in St. Louis and St. Louis sucks. In fact, <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's a it's a city that's just kind of died. You know, like all their industry died. I don't mm-hmm. know. Anyway, I don't mean to like talk shit, but it, it's I'm not a big fan of St. Louis. Yeah, it's just not, it's not a good city. It's, there, there's no culture there. There's no, there was no scene there. There was a good club called the Rocket Club or something like that, but that was about it. So I went to college and then I basically, after that, moved back 
uh, to Louisville. And then I went to school in Boston for a minute at Berkeley College of Music. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, thinking, oh, I'll go to like music school. But like, that's its own can of worms. It is a waste of time. But I mean, the short version is like, Berkeley, it's sort of like art school in the sense that, you know, there's that saying that like art school takes the art out of the artist. (laughs) Yeah. Like they make you like study and notate how to like listen to punk music. (laughs) It's stupid. That's anti-punk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's like really, I mean, I learned plenty of interesting things there, but I I quit after a semester, which a lot of people do. Actually quitting that class is how you get an A. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of my college route. I mean, you know, I I think college is really overrated if you want to be an artist, you know. Were you you playing in Boston? Not really. I mean, sort of. Like I I was playing I think at that time I was really trying to rethink what I wanted to do as a musician, you know. I wanted to learn really and that was like the influence of Radiohead, I think, a lot. Because in, in 2000, OK Computer came out. Changed everybody's game right there. Man. Right? And, mm-hmm. and this refused record, The Shape of Punk to Come, came out. And both, like I just felt like that playing hardcore music was just sort of, I don't know, not interesting to me. Or it just seemed kind of like it's all the same. You know, it's very like predictable. And, you know, I don't know, like just those other bands. So I started... Like in college, I did study like music theory and, you know, I kind of nerded out and learned about jazz chords and I tried to learn how to like write for strings and things like that. So it was useful in that sense. And then basically after Berkeley, like I was playing in my friend Dave's band just to play bass so I could just learn how to play bass. (laughs) And, but after that, I was like, okay, whatever. And then I basically would just started making my own music from kind of from that point forward. So I'd say like from about 2005 onward i was just like okay i feel like i know most of what i need to know and i'm just going to start making stuff let's listen to another song and then when we come back we'll talk about what took you to la infinite stroll set that one up for us a little bit that this is a like a more throwback to like some of my roots like a louder more punk rock song okay oh hell yeah let's check it out infinite stroll
Yeah, I remember listening to this one today. I was listening to this one. And I, I was like, that doesn't sound like any of the other ones. Yeah. And then I listened to another one. I was like, well, that one doesn't well, that sound one doesn't, like yeah. any of the other ones. <laughs> and then I listened to them, I'm like, God. Yeah, you never get bored listening. I, you to know, it. man, that's, I do think that's part of the, the, what is the soul of Louisville indie is that you can't put a finger on what it is. And I love the fact that, um, I love listening to music and an artist and being surprised at the next song. Like, and I think that's, consistent with your music it's always what's the next one going to sound like what's the next one going to sound like mm. i love that i talk about that quite a bit yeah i love that i love the bass in that song that bass just growling yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's got that nasty little meat on yeah. it tell us what took you to la was it were you looking for opportunity in music or yeah i mean I so I kind of did like the polar opposite of what I had done growing up on like my first solo record. I made this record under the name Sarajan Wells and it's like very, very quiet and sparse and like kind of folky and dark and just the absolute polar opposite of like the really incredibly loud hardcore band that I was in. So I, I made that record in like between like 2005 and like 2008 or nine. And put it out, and um, and where you, were you where were you living? Were you in L.A. or were you here? No, I was here at that time. Yeah. Okay. This is after Berkeley. Yeah. So you come back after that, right? Yeah, I, I actually had a weird, like, real intense stomach, like, illness thing in Boston. I got something called C diff, which is a random thing you can get from an antibiotic. Oh. Most people don't get it until you're like really old in like a retirement home. So it was a fluke. But it was like, it was really serious. I lost like 40 pounds and, you know, I'm six foot and I weigh 150 pounds right now. So it's like almost a hundred pounds. Oh, wow. I didn't realize what was happening. You know, it, it's, it's like a, it's like a bacterial infection. And what happens is you just, you can't digest food. Like you're not getting vitamins and minerals. So you just oh, wow. start like wasting away. So, so that's kind of why I left Boston is like my folks came and visited me and, and, you know, moms know right so my yeah. mom was like something is really wrong with you we need to go to the hospital and i was like okay i knew something was i just didn't know what to do and i was still you know kind of young i was 24 i think and so then i just was like they were just like we're you have to come home so i just had to move home and then i was kind of screwed up for like a year year and a half and i had some ptsd around eating food and it was just like a real nightmare so then i i kind of Started feeling better in like 2005, 2006. I was about 25, 26 ish. And then um, started working on this record. So I finished, you know, I kind of got better and finished the record. And, and then I just kind of, um, you know, the scene had changed a lot, obviously, from 2000 to 2006, 2007. And I just didn't really feel. And also, you know, I was getting older, you know, like I had missed, I spent my early 20s in college. So anyways, blah, blah, blah. I basically decided, screw it. I'm, I'm going to move to New York. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought there was a New York move. Yeah. I was first. like, I was, I was about 29 years old and I was like, time is ticking. You know, my biological artist clock was ticking. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, I don't want to be, I don't want to just stay in Louisville forever. You know, I know mm -hmm. there's a lot, you know, so I moved to New York and then the, the really short abridged version of the New York story, which that could be its own thing is like 
I moved there. I was kind of playing folky music at that time. Um, you know, when I was young, I was really, I loved uh, Bonnie Prince Billy, you know, and that's mm-hmm. uh, Will Oldham and all of his different, you know, kind of quiet, hushed kind of folky stuff. I was really in love with David uh, Grubbs's Gastro Del Soul work. And, um, you know, I, I, was, I was really just a fan of a lot of that kind of folky, kind of bluegrass, but like you were saying, Louisville's own kind of weird mm-hmm. spin on it. Um, and so, and, but then when I moved to New York and I was playing, you know, I would play these open mics and things and, and then I'm getting on the subway, you know, and it just started to feel like really weird and anachronistic to be playing folk music in 2010 while I'm in the biggest city in the world. <laughs> you know, it just seems stupid. It frankly seems silly and embarrassing almost. <laughs> so then I started, you know, going to all the shows in New York and I cannot emphasize to you enough how amazing the scene was at that time in Brooklyn. It was unreal. It was unreal. Like that was the the most exciting time of my life. Probably always will be. It was just, there was like a dozen DIY spaces. They were not owned by any sort of corporate. They were all like kids, people my age, putting on shows for next to no money. It was just, it was wild. I mean, it gives me goosebumps to think about. It was just, it was just amazing. It was the dream. You know, it was like, I would get on the subway. I would go to whatever space. I didn't even know who was playing. I just knew that it would be really good. And, <laughs> and it was. And, you know, I saw everyone at that time. I mean, I was at some crazy shows. I mean, I saw, I saw Grimes play at like a pretty small warehouse. I mean, it's a big warehouse, but like a, uh, not really well known, at least not unless you're in that circle, but at a space called 285 Kent. And I remember like getting into the show because I knew the people who owned the club and they're like, come on, get in. You know, it was, it was sold out and, you know, she was DJing and another artist, uh, another few artists were playing. This was right around when Visions came out. I don't know if you know any of Grimes music. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Kind of, you know, she's kind of fallen off and, you know, she's Elon Musk, you know, it's, it's, yeah. She's kind of made a mess of her career, but at that time she was a god. You know, she was like the one, the chosen one at that time. <laughs> she signed a four AD. She was a child, essentially. And and I remember people were like hush talking. You know, like oh, ASAP Rocky's here. I'm like, I didn't even know who ASAP Rocky was, but it was like Grimes and ASAP Rocky, and like ASAP Ferg or like these other like huge legendary rapper people. I don't even know how the hell they even know each other. I do want to say, uh, if ASAP Rocky's listening, congratulations on getting Rihanna yeah, pregnant. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. That's the, the big pertinent news, right? Man. <laughs> wow. I mean, I guess that kind of that kind of speaks to, this is kind of a sidebar, but it kind of speaks to the kind of power that Grimes seemed to have, you know? Yeah. She, she's on the same level as ASAP Rocky and Rihanna, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's like a household name at so she, she was just like an alien. But I mean, I saw a lot of shows like that where hugely famous people would just be there just hanging out, you know? How long were you, uh, did you hang out there? So I was there for three years. Um, I met a bunch of people, some I stay in touch with, some I don't really, that we, we opened our own space actually in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was called, this was its own hot mess of a story. 
it was called Body Actualized Center. And at that time, we were all doing a lot of hallucinogenic drugs. <laughs> Everyone was like really into yoga and like meditation and all this kind of like sort of new agey stuff. And uh, that was its own wild like couple of years. And then a couple of the guys, one of the guys that helped start the space was formerly in the band Real Estate. Okay. You know, that kind of indie rock band. I've heard of Real Estate. They kicked him out of the band, which I would soon learn the reasons why. Uh, he's an amazing guy and has a lot of uh, magician's tricks, but he's not not the best guy in the world. Anyway, so we started a band with him, and uh, we were called Splash. And this was a lot of fun, because it was like, we're like a glam band, essentially. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, kind of jokey. Like, we would wear makeup, and like we were just going full like David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust era. And we played like kind of like eighties rehash music. It, it kind of sounded like Tears for Fears, or it was a, its own very weird chapter. <laughs> but it was super fun. And the guy from real estate was dating a girl who was in a band called Friends, and they were like blowing up like internationally. You know, they were signed to a label in London, and you know, she was a, a homie of ours, and then just basically was like boom, you know, like New York style was huge. They were huge. They were playing in Berlin. They were touring everywhere. So they took us on tour. So we did this huge US tour supporting them. That has a bunch of amazing stories. So that was wild. And those are, you know, the biggest shows I've ever played. Um, And then eventually I quit the band. I left the space. The girl in the bigger band asked me to play guitar for her band because she had just broken up with the guy because he's basically an asshole. (laughs) I had kind of you know, cut him out too. So kind of, we kind of conspired against him. <laughs> like, I know this will piss him off. <laughs> and I knew it too. So then I play guitar with them for a minute. And that was probably like my most, you know, stereotypically successful. It was very brief. I played like 10 shows with them or something, but we went to, we went to Europe. We played a bunch of shows in the UK. Oh, cool. Yeah. We did a recording session with a guy who works with like Adele some, I can't remember his name, but you know, it was, it was, so that was the whirlwind. And then their band fell apart as well, of course, because everyone was young and just kind of crazy. And, um, and that was kind of it. It was kind of like poof, like New York was done. And then that same year, I don't know what was in the, in the, in the kind of, in the fates, but all of those, a lot of those DIY venues, they all got shut down right at once. Like, I can't remember if it was because there was that big fire with the DIY venue where all those people died or something, mm-hmm. but like the city came in and was just like, Nope, yeah. you're all shutting down. And then vice media bought this huge waterfront, like whole block that had two very important New York DIY venues, which was really weird to have vice do that. Cause vice was like covering events there. So New York kind of died in this weird way. It was like 2003 and because of that, that's why I moved to LA. A lot of people were moving to LA. They're like, New York sucks. New York is dead. Let's go to fucking LA. So I went to LA and, you know, I knew some people there because I'd played there and we had some friends there. And uh, that's kind of why I made it to LA. Mm. You know, and there was a lot of really amazing, like weird underground acts in LA that, you know, in the same way that there's a Louisville sound, there's kind of a LA thing. 
and I was just very attracted to it. So, and man, you uh, so you stayed in LA from what like oh three or oh five? When did you move out there? Well, I was in so I was in New York from two thousand ten to about two thousand thirteen. Oh, okay, thirteen. Yeah, and then I was in LA from about uh, two thousand thirteen till about like the beginning of two thousand sixteen. Okay. And then I had met someone here and we started dating like seriously and I was living with her and her son. So I was back here for a couple of years, kind of just domestic. I was kind of taking a break from music. And then um, I moved back to LA in 2009. I guess it was 2019. When I was back here in Louisville recently, I got a, I got a master's degree in psychology from U of L. Oh, wow. Because it was cheap as hell, you know? <laughs> I know it's like kind of a nuts story, but um, but then when I started counseling people, I realized this is the most depressing thing I could ever imagine doing every single day of my life, and I was oh. like, I I hate this, so I, I stopped counseling folks, and uh, then I just really quickly got into graphic design stuff and started trying to do that. So then I so then I moved back to LA in 2019, so I was there for just about one year on the dot when COVID hit. Oh wow, man, that's insane! <laughs> you know that's that that wrapped up a lot real quick. Yeah, but that's impressive <laughs> of how condensed you just made that because I know there's so it's so much bigger than that. But holy shit, man! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was kind of nuts. I'm kind of exhausted from all of it, so it's been kind of nice to to be here. You know, it's so easy here. You know what I mean? So laid back. It seems to be. It seems to be. Well, I mean, if you're going to be in Kentucky, you might as well be in Louisville anyway. <laughs> I'm sure compared to New York, you know, L.A. and... The speed yeah, of things. Boston. Yeah. <laughs> New York is crazy. I can't live there. I can't, I can't hang. I have too much anxiety. Yeah. Boston's too cold. I mean, it's so fucking cold in Boston. It's like scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's cold enough here. Like, I couldn't imagine a Boston. I couldn't imagine an East Coast winter. (laughs) It's rough. And then LA is great, but LA has a lot of problems. I mean, you know, all the fires are, they get worse. It seems like they get worse every year. It's incredibly expensive. And then, even though there are like opportunities in music, like much more so than here, for example, there's such a kind of a prevailing toxic high school like ugly mentality mm. about me and fame there. And I like being Midwestern, I just can't handle it for like too long. You know, it's yeah. like once I'm there for like a year and a half, it starts to just really, it's, I find it disgusting, you know, in certain yeah. ways. We've heard that before. It sounds like it's hard to be a good human in the LA music scene. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to make it anywhere. It doesn't do, you can't, yeah, it, you have to be, I mean, New York is that way to a certain degree. Like you have to become harder and more self-interested, but it's not, there's still like New Yorkers are like, I think generally like pretty good people, you know, whereas like LA gets to be more like nihilistic and, mm. and sort of um, depraved, you know? Yeah. After what and I said, though, I do feel like I have to I have to point out we've met some great people on this podcast from L.A. Uh, musicians. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. there are good people there. I mean, the native people in L.A. are are that's kind of your best bet, you know. Like mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. my friends that are there, they're from there, so they're kind of immune to this. 
But but all the people like me who just move there, you know, why are they moving there? You know, there, I mean, yeah. there's a. I'm really fond of this saying. I don't think it's as true for San Francisco anymore. But there was this saying that smart and ambitious people move to New York, smart people move to San Francisco, and ambitious people move to Los Angeles. Mm. And I think that's really true because a lot of the people that you meet in LA, you know, you meet them and you ask them, you know, what do you do? And they don't do anything. Like they don't have like any talent, you know, like, <laughs> when you're, you know what I mean? Like when you're in the art scene in New York, you're like, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm a writer or like, I have a PhD or like, I'm an artist, I'm a sculptor. Or, like they're all like these super type A ambitious you know, you move to LA and like a lot of people you meet, like, so what do you do? And they're just like, no, I don't, I don't, you know, you're looking at it. <laughs> I'm just fucking the shit. I'm just amazing. Like I look amazing. That's it. Uh. <laughs> so it's like reality show culture. Yeah. It's like just true narcissism, you know, mm. just sort of no, nothing really to offer other than a sort of vaguely sociopathic belief in oneself. I don't know. It, it's very disturbing. Yeah. But the natives are cool. You know, they hate that shit. They fucking hate Hollywood. They never fucking go there. And they just, you know, they live their lives and with other, na- you know, you know what I mean? It's like, so there, there's, you know, there's good people everywhere, obviously. It's, obviously, yeah. yeah. Statistically, you know, I mean, San Francisco has been kind of ruined by like Facebook and, you know, mm-hmm. tech, tech, tech culture. industry. Yeah. yeah so like now, I used to go to this park in San Francisco uh, called Dolores Park, which is a really famous park there. I don't know if, if you guys have ever been there, but you know, I would go there and they used to have these these people there who would come through the park and they would dress up as different like Disney characters or movie characters, just normal people. And they would bring with them little baskets. Like it'd be like Red Red Riding Hood, a girl dressed up as little Red Riding Hood, and she would come through with a little basket and she would have all these weed and mushroom edibles <laughs> so you just be like laying on a hill with your friends and a basically a cosplay person kind of before cosplay was such a, would walk up and be like do you want any treats and then I think you they call that an angel yeah. <laughs> that's what it felt like and you'd be like what, what do you want like i have weed, weed edibles for this much these are mushrooms you know this and that and, you know, you just buy them. And, and it was just like, it was all part of just the culture of that park. It was very acceptable. But now, like, I went a few years ago, and it's just like, they bulldozed a bunch of it. And now, like, everyone there is, like, baby strollered out. And there's no little Red Riding Hood anymore. <laughs> <laughs> jail. <laughs> she works for Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so I think San Francisco, I mean, I can't speak for it because I, I haven't been there that long that much but it's it seems like that city is you know its culture has taken a hit too well and the freaking real estate prices have taken a hit yeah we couldn't i couldn't visit yeah yeah i mean it's weird sitting here in 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 2022 and doing this and you know here we are virtually and you know scenes have been pretty much unilaterally devastated by covid so it's it's a it's kind of a kind of a dark age of a sort, you know, I feel kind of disconnected not to harp on the negative, but it's, it's kind of frustrating because I feel like I'm working in sort of isolation, you know, Mm. whereas like five or 10 years ago, I was just living 
in this organism of the communities. And it was so like robust. There were so many people around and like I had all these relationships. And nowadays it's, it's a little bit more Spartan. So it's definitely yeah. that. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you go from feeling like you're part of a community, a scene to, uh, like you said, complete isolation. I mean, and like yeah. you, when you went to San Luis Obispo, total isolation. Yeah. So, you, you know, you t- go from a community where, you know, you live your life built around that scene and that community to nothing. I mean, it's insane. So trying yeah. to just get back to that. And then now you're doing it in a, you know, back home, but still a, a complete adjustment again for you. I couldn't imagine, yeah. man. I couldn't imagine floating uh, from that to this in the middle of all this, trying to figure figure out, you know, artistically what you want to do. And just seems like a lot. Yeah, it's been weird, you know? Yeah. It's been very like, it's um, disorienting, you know, because it's like not, I don't really 100% feel like I belong to really any community anymore, which is kind of what you feel like if you're young and you parents move you around all the time or something, mm. you know, because it's like, I feel like Louisville will always be like my spiritual home and I grew up here and I was formed here. So I feel that I'm through and through a Midwesterner in temperament, which is good, mm. I think. I mean, we're biased, of course, but I think it's good. Western temperament is good. Um, But, you know, I also find a lot of things really frustrating about Louisville, you know, and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's like pros and cons everywhere. So I'm mainly just trying to get some fucking work made, you know, I mean, ultimately that's the, the goal. And then, right. I want to live in like a thriving community. Um, I don't know where that is anymore you know i don't think there is a thriving community right this second so i feel like i have to kind of camp out and i i really like a lot of aspects of louisville scene but there are other aspects i find frustrating you know there's not tons of bands here Mm -hmm. so you know like it's it's a battle to like plan a show here i feel like for me i mean i've been gone so maybe that's partially why but you know, I do have a couple of, of shows coming up that'll be good. There's a new venue at the old Odeon called Whirling Tiger now. They kind of rebranded. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm 99% sh- sure we're doing a show there on March 5th with uh, our friends Copiers and another band, Parister. And, and like that feels awesome, you know, because they're like people that I really respect and like their stuff. And they're, you know, local as well. So like... I just wish that was happening like all the time, you yeah. know, like yeah. every weekend. But it can't be that way because you have to be careful. Can't play too much, you know. Yeah. So you know, whatever. There's well, challenges. The consistency too. I mean, there's a lack of consistency right now with venues and and open right. what's closed and what's acceptable and what's allowed and masks, no masks. So I mean, I think. We're still kind of stuck in that, which puts a lot of people yeah. and musicians in a rut. Because, I mean, you can just look, you can see that there's just not a consistent scene. There's not a consistent yeah. place that's holding shows constantly that are yeah. that you're ready to, that, to leave the house for. That you're like, man, there, that's a, no, a, a no-brainer. You know, know. There, there's some coming up that we've looked at that are, are definite, you know, friends of the podcast and all that, that are no-brainers. 
And that's yeah. starting to get nice. You know, I think hopefully once we kind of get into that March area, like you were talking, yeah. that that things are, you know, people are excited about going and getting out and seeing live music and realizing we've all had the Omicron, yeah. so we're all immune. <laughs> we've all had it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my hope that like spring and summer, you know, things start really going. Yeah, man. Uh, we'll see. So, Andrew, for our listeners that, w- that want to follow you more closely that may not be familiar with your music, where can they find you on the socials and right on the web and find your music, all that stuff? Um, I have a YouTube channel. It's just Andrew Reinhardt. The spelling is a little weird. So just to say it, it's like R-I-N-E-H-A-R-T. And then I'm just the T-H-E-E Andrew Reinhardt on Instagram. And I have a band camp. And then, you know, I'm on Spotify, of course, under Andrew Reinhardt. So usually if you Google it, it's like pretty easy to find kind of everything. You just have to get the spelling right of the last name. And even if you get it wrong, sometimes that's it'll come up anyway. Mm-hmm. Man, we appreciate you talking to us the last hour. And uh, we really enjoyed it. We're going to go out with uh, Friends of the Devil. It looks like you're... Uh... You're featuring a, a pretty big name there in, in this one. Yeah, very, very uh, grateful that Will was gracious enough to sing on this song. It's a, you know, it's a huge Grateful Dead song. You know, it was a song I heard in San Luis Obispo from a bunch of like surfer deadhead people, which I don't really <laughs> know that people like that. And it just kind of won me over and Will was gracious enough to sing on it. We've got a music video for it that's going to come out in the next couple of weeks, which is oh, going to be really sweet. Oh, yeah, wow. that music video is going to be nuts. So I'm excited for that. And yeah, man, it's been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you guys reaching out, and it was great talking to you guys. Dude, we got to definitely get you up here for Still one shot. We want to get you in here, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Awesome. All right. Good times. Thanks so much. I lit up from Reno, I was trailed by 20 hounds Didn't get to sleep that night till the morning came around I said I'll run him, but I'd take my time A friend of the devil is a friend of mine If I get home before daylight, I just might get some sleep tonight I ran into the devil, babe, and he loaned me 20 bills Spent that night in Utah in a cave up in the hills I said I'll run but I'll take my time A friend of the devil is a friend of mine If I get home before daylight I just might get some sleep tonight I ran down to the levee but the devil caught me dead He took my twenty dollar bill and vanished in the air I said I'll run but I'll take my time A friend of the devil is a friend of mine If I get home before daylight I just might get some sleep tonight I got two reasons why I cry away each lonely night The first one's named Sweet Anne-Marie And she's my heart's delight The second one is prison making sheriffs on my train and if he catches up with me, I spend my life in jail. Ooh, I got a wife in Chino, babe, and one in Cherokee. 
First one says, she's got my child, but it don't look like me. Yeah, I sit out running, but I'll take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. If I get home before daylight, I just might get some sleep Friend of mine, if I get home before daylight, I just might. 